0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Robinson Crusoe Written anew for children By James Baldwin Chapters 38 through 40 Chapter 38 i make another voyage with very great care i steered my canoe out to sea i kept just within the edge of the current on my right hand it carried me along at a great rate but i did not lose control of the canoe in about two hours i came up to the wreck it was a sad sight to look at the ship lay partly on her side AND WAS JAMMED FAST BETWEEN TWO GREAT ROCKS. SHE LOOKED LIKE A SPANISH SHIP. SHE HAD BEEN BADLY BROKEN BY THE WAVES, AND EVERYTHING ON HER DECKS HAD BEEN SWEPT AWAY. AS I CAME CLOSE BY HER, A DOG LOOKED OVER HER SIDE AND BARKED AT ME. WHEN I CALLED HIM, HE JUMPED INTO THE SEA AND SWAM OUT TO THE CANOE. I lifted him on board, and found that he was almost dead with hunger and thirst. I gave him a barley-cake, and he devoured it like a half-starved wolf. I then gave him a little water, but not too much, lest he should harm himself. He drank, and then looked up as if asking for more. After this I went on board. A sad sight met my eyes. FOR IN THE COOK-ROOM I SAW TWO SAILORS WHO HAD BEEN DROWNED, WITH THEIR ARMS FAST AROUND EACH OTHER. I SUPPOSE THAT WHEN THE SHIP STRUCK, THE WAVES DASHED ALL OVER HER, AND THE MEN HAD NO WAY OF ESCAPE. THOSE WHO WERE NOT SWEPT OVERBOARD WERE DROWNED BETWEEN DECKS. BESIDES THE DOG THERE WAS NO OTHER LIVE THING ON BOARD. I found some chests that had belonged to the sailors. With much labour I got two of them into the canoe without stopping to look inside of them. Besides these chests, I took a fire-shovel and tongs, which I needed very much. I found also two little brass kettles, a gridiron and a large copper-pot, THE TIDE WAS NOW SETTING IN TOWARD THE ISLAND AGAIN, SO, WITH THE FEW GOODS I HAD FOUND, AND THE POOR DOG, I STARTED FOR HOME. BY KEEPING ON THE OUTSIDE OF THE eddying CURRENT, I HAD NO TROUBLE IN BRINGING THE CANOE SAFE TO LAND. THE SUN WAS ALMOST DOWN WHEN I ANCHORED HER IN A LITTLE INLET JUST OFF THE POINT OF ROCKS. I WAS SO TIRED THAT I COULD DO NOTHING MORE THAT DAY so after eating my supper of which i gave the dog a good share i lay down in the canoe and went to sleep i slept very soundly and did not wake until morning in looking over my goods i made up my mind to store them in my new cave in the woods for that was much nearer than my home castle when i opened the chests I FOUND SEVERAL THINGS THAT I WAS VERY GLAD TO GET. IN ONE I FOUND TWO JARS OF VERY GOOD SWEET MEATS. THEY WERE SO WELL CORKED THAT THE SEA WATER HAD NOT HARMED THEM. THERE WERE TWO OTHER JARS OF THE SAME KIND, BUT THEY WERE OPEN AT THE TOP, AND THE WATER HAD spoiled THE SWEET MEATS. IN THE OTHER CHEST THERE WERE SOME GOOD SHIRTS, WHICH I NEEDED VERY MUCH. There were also about a dozen and a half of white linen handkerchiefs. I was very glad to find these, for they would be pleasant to wipe my face with on a hot day. In a secret drawer of the first chest I found three bags of Spanish money. I counted eleven hundred pieces of silver. At the bottom of one of the bags there were six Spanish gold pieces Each worth about fifteen dollars. They were wrapped up in a piece of paper. At the bottom of the other bag there were some small bars of gold. I suppose there was at least a pound of these yellow pieces. After all, I got very little by this voyage. I had no use for the money. It was worth no more to me than the dust under my feet. I would have given it all for a pair of good shoes or some stockings for my feet. After I had carried everything to my cave, I took the canoe back to her old harbor on the farther side of the island. Then I returned to my castle, where I found everything in good order. And now I began to live easily again. I was as watchful as before, and never went from my castle without looking carefully around. I seldom went to the other side of the island. When I visited my cave in the woods, or went to see my goats, I took good care to be well-armed. Chapter 39 I Have a Queer Dream Two years passed without any alarms, and I was beginning to think that nothing would ever happen again to disturb the quiet of my life. One night, in the rainy season of March, I could not sleep. I lay for hours in my hammock, and was not able to close my eyes. I was thinking, thinking, thinking. I thought of all that had ever happened to me both before and after my shipwreck i thought of my first happy years on the island i thought of the fear and care that i had lived in ever since i saw the first footprint in the sand then i thought of my great desire to see my native land once more and to have my friends and companions with whom I could talk. These thoughts brought to mind the savages of whom I had so great a dread, and I began to ask myself a thousand questions about them. How far off was the coast from which they came? Why did they come to my island from so great a distance? What kind of boats did they have? WITH SUCH THOUGHTS AS THESE I LAY AWAKE UNTIL FAR IN THE NIGHT. MY PULSE BEAT FAST, MY BREATH CAME HARD, MY NERVES WERE UNSTRUNG. AT LAST, WORN OUT BY MY VERY RESTLESSNESS, I FELL ASLEEP. THE SAME THOUGHTS MUST HAVE FOLLOWED ME INTO MY DREAMS, BUT THEY TOOK A DIFFERENT FORM. I dreamed that I was sitting on the seashore, with my gun on my lap, and my umbrella by my side. I was thinking, thinking, thinking. I had never been so sad and lonely. I was thinking of the home I was never to see again, and of the friends who perhaps had forgotten me. Suddenly, As I lifted my eyes, I thought I saw two canoes coming toward the island. I ran and hid myself in a grove by the shore. There were eleven savages in the canoes, and they had with them another savage whom they were going to kill and eat. But I thought in my sleep that this savage suddenly sprang up and ran for his life. I thought— THAT HE CAME RUNNING TO THE LITTLE GROVE, TO HIDE HIMSELF IN IT. SEEING HIM ALONE, I AROSE AND MET HIM. I SMILED KINDLY, AND TRIED TO MAKE HIM KNOW THAT I WAS HIS FRIEND. HE THREW HIMSELF ON THE GROUND AT MY FEET. HE SEEMED TO BE ASKING MY HELP. I SHOWED HIM MY LADDER, AND I MADE HIM GO UP OVER THE WALL. THEN I LED HIM INTO MY CASTLE, AND HE BECAME MY SERVANT. I thought, in my sleep, that I cried aloud for joy, and said, Now I shall escape from this place, for this savage will be my pilot. He will guide me to the mainland. He will tell me where to go, and what to do. He will help me find my own people. This thought filled my mind with great joy, and— while i was still rejoicing i awoke what a disappointment it was to find that it was only a dream for several days i felt very sad i was almost ready to give up hope and then i remembered my dream and i said to myself if i could only get hold of a savage and teach him to love me things might turn out just that way. He must be one of their prisoners, and I must save him from being eaten, for then it will be easy to win his friendship. This thought so fixed itself in my mind that I could not get rid of it. Waking or sleeping, I seemed to be always planning to get hold of a savage." At last I set myself about it in earnest. Almost every day I went out with my gun to see if some of these wild men had not again landed on my island. CHAPTER 40 I Get Hold of a Savage For a year and a half I kept close watch upon the farther shore of the island, as well as upon the nearest to my castle but not a single savage came near. One morning in June, however, I had a great surprise. I was just starting out from my castle when I saw five canoes lying high and dry on the beach not a mile away. There was not man near them. The people who had come in them were perhaps asleep among the trees. THE NUMBER OF CANOES WAS GREATER THAN I HAD EVER COUNTED UPON SEEING, FOR THERE WERE ALWAYS FOUR OR SIX SAVAGES IN EACH CANOE, AND THERE MUST NOW BE BETWEEN TWENTY AND THIRTY MEN SOMEWHERE ON THE SHORE. I DID NOT KNOW WHAT TO THINK OF IT. I DID NOT FEEL BRAVE ENOUGH TO ATTACK SO MANY. SO I STAYED IN MY CASTLE, AND MADE READY TO DEFEND MYSELF. THERE IS LITTLE HOPE OF GETTING A SAVAGE THIS TIME, I THOUGHT TO MYSELF. I waited a long while, but heard no unusual sound. I grew tired of waiting, and made up my mind to see what was going on. So, with the help of my ladder, I climbed up to my lookout, up on the top of the rock. I put my spy-glass to my eyes and looked down upon the beach. Surely enough, there they were. I saw no fewer than thirty naked savages dancing around a fire. I saw that they were broiling meat upon the coals, but I could not tell what kind of meat it was. As I watched, I saw some of the dancers run to a boat and drag two miserable prisoners from it. They must have been in the boat all the time, but as they were lying down, I did not see them. All the dancers now crowded around the poor prisoners. They knocked one of them down with a club, and then fell upon him with their knives. I suppose they were going to cut him up for their horrid feast. For a few moments they seemed to forget the other prisoner, for they left him standing alone at one side. All at once he made a break for liberty. You never saw a hound run so fast. He ran along the sandy beach right toward my castle. I was dreadfully frightened. I thought that now my dream was coming true, and that he would surely hide in my grove. But would the other part of the dream come true? Would the other savages lose sight of him, and running another way not come near the castle? I feared not. However, I stayed in my lookout, and watched to see what would happen. I saw, to my joy, that only three of the savages followed him. He ran so fast that he gained ground on them. If he could hold out for ten or fifteen minutes, he would get away from them all. Between the savages and my castle there was the little river where I had first landed with my raft. If the poor fellow could not swim across this stream, he would surely be taken. I watched to see what he would do. To my surprise, the river did not hinder him at all, THE TIDE WAS UP, BUT HE PLUNGED IN, AND WITH TWENTY OR THIRTY STROKES WAS ACROSS. I HAD NEVER SEEN A FINER SWIMMER. WHEN HIS PURSUERS REACHED THE STREAM, HE WAS ALREADY FAR AWAY. TWO OF THEM JUMPED IN AND SWAM ACROSS. THE OTHER ONE STOOD STILL A MINUTE, AND THEN TURNED SOFTLY BACK. IT WAS LUCKY FOR HIM THAT HE COULD NOT SWIM. NOW, THOUGHT I TO MYSELF, "'Now is the time to get me a savage.' "'In another moment I was down in my castle. "'I picked up my two guns. "'I was over the wall in less time than it takes me to tell about it. "'Never once did I think of fear. "'I ran swiftly down the hill toward the sea. "'In another minute I was between the poor captive and his pursuers. "'Hello there! Come back! I will help you!' I cried. "'Of course!' He did not understand a word, but he heard me and looked back. I beckoned to him with my hand, and this he understood better. There was no time for waiting, however. The two savages that followed were close upon me. I rushed upon the foremost one and knocked him down with my gun. I did not want to shoot, lest the other savages would hear the noise and come to his rescue. The second pursuer came, running and panting, only a little way behind when he saw me he stopped as if he were frightened i ran toward him with my gun to my shoulder as i came nearer i saw that he had a bow and arrow and was taking aim at me what could i do but shoot he fell to the ground and never moved again i now moved around to see what had become of the poor captive I saw him standing still and gazing at me. The noise of my gun had frightened him, so that he did not know what to do. I called to him, "'Come here, my good fellow. I will not hurt you.' But, of course, he did not understand. Then I motioned to him with signs. He came a little way, and then stopped. He came a little farther, and stopped again. He was trembling like a leaf. No doubt he was afraid that he would be killed as his two pursuers had been. I spoke kindly to him, and made signs that I would not hurt him. He came nearer and nearer, trembling and kneeling down at almost every step. I smiled. I looked as pleasant as I could. I made still other signs. He came quite close to me. He laid his head upon the ground. He took hold of my foot, and set it on his neck. This was his way of saying that he would be my slave for ever. I took hold of his hand, and lifted him up. I spoke kindly to him. Thus I at last got hold of a savage, as I had so long desired. End of chapters 38 through 40 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox in Spring 2006.